0: Welcome to the Physical Preparation podcast. I'm your host Mike Robertson and I'll be joined on the line later today by Michelle Boland. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, the week that is upcoming, and just all things that are going in in my world. So, let's start with last week. Soccer is finally a wrap. Always seems longer than it actually is. I think it's about 8 or 9 weeks in total. But both kiddos had their final practices last week. Cade had his last game. Uh, unfortunately, the little guys lost, kind of stunk, because we had a lot of first graders in a first and second grade division. And quite frankly, a lot of skilled little guys out there. So I'm excited to watch them kind of grow and develop in the coming years. Also fun last week is, since it was the last week, it was just a lot of like free-for-all. The practices were pretty informal. And so I actually played myself three, all three of those practices. So that was a lot of fun just getting out there, knocking the ball around. The kids seemed to really enjoy that. And man, I think the coolest thing was like, I never really played formal soccer, at least not, not in high school and college. I played like intramurals, but really my actual soccer education ended about third or fourth grade because there just wasn't a path for soccer in Muncie where I grew up, at least at that point in time, a long, long, long time ago. But man, it was fun. Like some of the guys that I was playing with, because some of the other coaches, some of the other dads got involved. I mean, they played collegiately and I didn't feel like didn't feel like I totally embarrassed myself out there. So that was a lot of fun. Just felt good to get out there. And again, the kids enjoyed seeing dad out there. So that was a lot of fun. After soccer Saturday, chilled for a little bit, went to the pumpkin patch. Glenn Robinson III, one of my clients who I've worked with for quite a while now, has his foundation, the Ari Foundation, which is very into... You know, just making sure fathers play an important or a key role in the lives of their kids. So he's had some awesome events, and this was no different. Got to go hang out at the pumpkin patch. There was all kinds of fun stuff. There was a huge bounce place. There was a basically a hay bale pyramid, which I've never seen before. So Cade loved scaling to the top of that. Random barnyard animals. You had the hay ride. And, of course, got to pick out some pumpkins. So the kids had an absolute blast there. That was a really fun afternoon. And then Sunday, we had Cade's birthday party. So, big man turned seven last Thursday. Sunday, we had the actual party. Minecraft themed, because that guy loves Minecraft. He loves Legos. Anything that involves building stuff or engineering, that's the way that guy's brain is wired. So, awesome day. Got to get outside. The weather turned for us. It was really yucky in the morning. Turned out really nice. Got outside. We played some knockout with basketball. We played some soccer golf. Had him playing uh, the old school 16 bit Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo. So I felt like I did my, uh, I did him a solid there, teaching him about the old school video games. So that was the weekend. This week, quite a few things going on. I'm actually going on Brian Panuzzo's podcast. If you go back in the archives, Brian and I did a show together. Um, just an awesome guy somebody that I really enjoy hanging out with. He's got a podcast that's geared towards men, uh, some of the struggles that men go through, balancing business and personal life. So I'm kind of excited to go on there, talk about some non-training related stuff. So excited to do that. I actually have a podcast day this week where I have, I think it's Katie Jones. Hopefully I didn't butcher her last name, but Katie from uh, University of Louisville is gonna be coming on. I got Josh Bonetal, formerly of the Chicago Bulls, formerly of Purdue University Men's Basketball, and now he is with the Future Fit app, so excited to catch up with Josh, and then Alex Effer from Toronto, and a former Intensive Day Ocho attendee, along with myself. So, really good podcast coming up Thursday, excited to get all them on, and then last but not least, the coaching. I keep joking around, but this is like off-season 2.0 here, because... Ty has been here for six months, but Glenn, we ramped up for two months. He was gone for two and a half, three months, and now he's back. So got my guys continuing to roll indefinitely. Quite frankly, we don't know when the season's going to start. I've heard as early as MLK Day, the end of January. That seems very ambitious, considering I know the NBA wants fans in the stands. So I'm thinking more along the lines of early March, but you never really know. So I am doing what I do. Try, trying my best to take amazing care of these guys, keep them healthy, keep them feeling strong, and just getting them ready for that season whenever it comes around. So like I said, did my best to keep this a little bit shorter today. I feel like sometimes I can be a little long-winded, but just get excited. Love filling you in on what's going on in my world. So take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome new episode with Michelle Bold. Hey, my friend, let's take a moment and talk about online coaching. Not a day goes by where I don't get an email, direct message on social, or a random comment on my website from someone who wants to get into great shape, but doesn't know where to start. And look, I get it, because I've been there too. But if there's one distinct pattern in my life with regards to training, it's this. When I have a coach, I always get better results than when I'm trying to figure it out on my own. If you're struggling to get into great shape, or have issues you need to work around, or maybe just need some accountability from someone you can trust, then maybe it's time to consider online coaching with your boy, MR. I've been working with online clients for the past 14 years. And while many people assume I only train athletes, the vast majority of my online clients are actually fellow trainers, coaches, and fitness professionals. So if you're interested in starting up or learning more, please send an email to mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com with the words online coaching in the subject line. From there, I'll send you an email and detail exactly how the entire process works. However, I can tell you this much, while I've had great success with my online coaching up to this point, since I've started using Train Heroic with all of my clients and athletes, I'm getting even better results with my clients than ever before. So again, if you're interested in learning more, just drop me a line at mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com and I'll give you all the details on how it works. Thanks so much and I hope to work with you soon. Dr. Michelle Bolin is a certified strength and conditioning coach and owner of Michelle Boland Training. Michelle was previously the director of education at a private training facility and has several years experience as a strength and conditioning coach for a D1 college. Michelle specializes in movement biomechanics, athletic development, and improving fitness while addressing nagging pain or injuries that may be limiting performance. In this episode, Michelle and I take a deep dive into a principles-based approach to training and coaching. From understanding why having principles are important, to talking about how they can improve your program design, communication, or continuing education efforts, I think there is a ton of great information here, and I think you're really gonna love this episode. But enough for me, let's do this. Michelle, great having you back on the show. Really excited to chat with you here today. What's new in your neck of the woods?
1: (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate you having me back on. Well, you know, winter's approaching, so I'm getting ready to hibernate for some time, <laughs> yes. uh, but things are going well. Still have people in the gym, which I'm excited about. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty thankful.
0: What, what is the situation like where you're at? I like to kind of touch base with everybody. Like, are they, are there restrictions or how has that been for you?
1: Yeah, there's definitely some restrictions. You know, I always wear a mask when I'm with people. You know, I'm very lucky to the gym that I rent space at is a 12,000 square foot like unbelievable facility. Okay. And they've been hosting all of their like group classes outside because they have an also a huge outside area. Okay. Um so I've kind of had like, you know, a gym to myself with, you know, my one-on-one clients. So I've been pretty lucky in that regards.
0: I love it. I love it. So obviously you've been on the show before, and I always tell people if you didn't listen to the first show, make sure you listen to that. But (laughs) we were chatting via email before the show, and you mentioned that you wanted to discuss principle-based coaching. So I would love to just start there, and let's just start at the very beginning. First and foremost, what is principle-based coaching? How do you define it? Perfect.
1: Perfect. So I define principle based coaching as using a framework for your training beliefs to make decisions on how to create solutions and results which is basically our role as trainers. Okay. So what we do is we you know dial down and identify what is important to us, what we want athletes or clients to get out of working with us, what's important in sport. And then we find these overarching kind of concepts and turn them into phrases, which then we can apply to like any context that we're in, any client, any situation. And why this really works, or why this is kind of like a thing that I like to talk about, is you know, I've gone through the academic system, you know, as a grad student, as a professor. And then I was lucky enough to be at a collegiate program that took continuing education like very seriously. So I went to a lot of, you know, weekend seminars and certifications. And then I was a director of the internship program. And so through all that, like with conversations with people of like, hey, what did you get out of this course? You know, how do you use this information? I think there was a lot like overall misunderstanding or lack of the ability to apply information that we were all learning in the fitness industry. Mm. And I think, you know, taking a step back and turning all of what you know, your experiences and your beliefs, which are a little bit different, into these phrases so you can kind of have something to remember to guide, you know, your training decisions, your coaching behavior. And then also, you know, when you take in new information, you have a place to put it that makes sense. And it won't like veer you off in a huge way or lead you into like paralysis by analysis of like overthinking things and being confused um, or insecure about like your coaching decisions. Cause it's just like new information is just like, oh, I have you know, more things to back up this principle with.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. So with that being said, we've given us kind of like this working definition. Here's a big question. So we're just going <laughs> to dive right in. As a coach, a trainer or a therapist, how do you go about discovering your guiding principles?
1: Perfect. That's a great question. So I think as a teaching tool, you know, we all are better at describing other people than ourselves.
2: I think we do that
1: very, very well. So I believe like the first step is, you know, looking at an experience that you've had, a mentor that you've worked with. So say, for example, you know, your mentees or people who have done your internship programs or learn from you because you put like a crazy amount of information out. Can they sit down and really kind of discern the qualities that are important to you? What's your value system? Basically, like, what are you trying to tell them as, like, overall, overreaching things that are just important in everything that you do? Sure. And being able to kind of, like, discern qualities from other people, I think, is the first step. And, like, pick apart their information and turn it into principles. And then the next step would be going to yourself. Like, what are you doing on a regular basis with your clients and athletes? How do you teach people things What do you view as important, like sport, if you're working with athletes or experience, if you're working with like a general population client and the two ways to be able to really do this is a mind mapping activity. Okay. So basically putting like an idea on paper or say, you know, if I took a piece of paper and wrote like Mike Robertson, circled your name and then I created like branches from that. And a mind map is don't worry about like relationships to other things, just like write everything you know about like what you've learned from Mike Robertson. And that will really lead you into being able to point out like concepts and maybe similarities between like things that you think are important or have learned from other places. And then concept mapping, that's more like starting with something at the top and then bleeding down from that And that's where you really want to create relationships. So I could say the word performance and now I can kind of come down, Hey, what did I learn from Mike Robertson in relation to performance? What did I learn from this other weekend course that I took regarding what performance is and then like bleeding down from that. And then once you do a lot of these activities, you begin to find similarities between things in like your coaching style And then it's like putting all that like kind of together.
0: Yeah. No, I I love that. And I think this is something that too often nowadays we get caught up in this trap as coaches, as trainers, especially because like that's the world and the space that we're in. But I think too often we get caught up in this idea of like keeping up with the Joneses with regards to content or information and not taking enough time to watch a piece of content and then reflect on it. And figure out, like, is this even valuable? Like, is this even something that works within my principles?
1: Yeah, 100%. I, you know, people ask me about, like, my learning strategy sometimes. And I say I go through peaks and valleys. So, like, I'll consume information and then I'll just cut myself off.
2: Mm -hmm. And then
1: I try to spend a lot of time with my notebook consolidating that information and being like, is this useful to me? Like, you know, I have this knowledge But am I going to turn it into one of my training beliefs? Basically, like, am I going to apply this? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think, you know, in the shift in the industry that we're seeing right now, I see this a lot with kind of like breathing work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people are acquiring information about like why breathing is useful. But like, you know, if you were dealing with a lot of fitness clients, depending on the source of that information, I think people are having difficulties on like where to put that and like turning it into something that they believe is important for fitness
0: right right well yeah the other thing that you said I think was great was going through peaks and valleys with your con ed because some people just turn on the fire hose and they're trying to consume forever versus mm-hmm. uh, I am a hundred percent with you I like that approach of hey I'm gonna I'm gonna take in a bunch of stuff for a while and then I don't remember the word that you used, but I just think of it as assimilation right Ooh, like right. how am I gonna assimilate all of this and actually put it into what I do. And sometimes you're not right. And like, that's okay. Sometimes stuff Mm -hmm. just doesn't work for you or your environment, but you're going to take those things that are working and you're going to apply them. So let's take this a step further. How does having a set of principles enhance or prime your learning in your continuing education?
1: No, that's awesome. So it creates a framework where kind of like, think of like a funnel system. Mm -hmm. I take in new information from going to some, like a seminar or whatnot. And I think that's the respectable thing to do to continue to grow. But what happens is most of that time that new information, like you said, you don't apply it into what you're doing or you just get so lost on, you know, disregarding everything that you're already doing and dive in deep into like all that you've just learned. And what helps is creating a funnel, which is like what your principle serves as of like, Here's like three or four phrases or categories of like what I believe is training is. Where does this information fall within these things? What does it add to? Maybe you learn a new exercise and you're like, oh, that falls under this principle without like changing what you do.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then as you learn new information, you can say, hey, is this useful to me? Does this fall in line what you know, my value system or the message that I want to tell people or train people with and know, then that's great. Like you may find that information interesting and you may enjoy like your learning experience from that, but just like disregard it. (laughs) And (laughs) in terms of like what you do on a daily basis, but then if something is extremely useful, like, now you have a place to put it. Now you know kind of like where it goes within like your systems and what you're doing.
0: Yep. So it's funny that you mentioned like just straight disregarding stuff or forgetting about <laughs> it because look, like so much of what we do after you've done this for a certain period of time, right? Like, yeah, a squat can be broken down and push ups and whatever things we're interested in, right? Mm-hmm. But that's like 80% of what we do, right? And so sometimes we get that flipped and we get so caught up in the stuff that we're going to use like 20% of the time, you know, like these fringe concepts or I always joke (laughs) around about like French contrast training, right? Like I love, I love Caldeeds, but like, you know, your 50 year old fat loss client, like, yeah, that's cool that you know how to use French contrast training, but like, that's not what that person needs. You Mm -hmm. know, like they need to learn, you know, basic, basic techniques. They need to be on a basic set rep scheme. Like there's nothing sexy about that. So it's like that's where, hey, by all means, especially after you've done this for a while, like pull from the edges and, you know, kind of file that away in the toolbox. Just know and understand that that's not a tool that you're going to be using every single day.
1: 100%. Yeah, it's like we learn all these things like it did in like grad school mostly. But then when you start like working with general population clients, it's like, oh, like this really doesn't apply to them. It's cool. Like I know it for maybe – When it does, but yeah, this isn't this isn't really what they need.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, you know, everyone likes to talk about program design and writing better programs, but I think one of the biggest struggles, especially like young or up-and-coming trainers deal with is that they don't have principles to guide them, right? Like they just have their own experiences or what they think might be important. So how does having a set of principles, whether it's regards to training or coaching, enhance your program design process?
2: Wow,
1: this is a great question because this is all about application. And I think there's a huge gap between, you know, taking in information and then implementing it. So program design is all about choosing, and this is why people seek us out for our services. You know, what variables we're going to emphasize and de-emphasize, you know, on a either a session-to-session basis or like over time. So principles, how I implement them is using them as teaching tools. So say, for example, either within a session or with like a block of training or a week, depending on factors. So I take one of my principles and I say, I want this person to learn this and be able to do it well. And then I try to link it through each designated time block of that session. So say if I believe that athletic skill acquisition includes the ability to transition from leg to leg. So that's one of my principles. Okay. So, in my warm up, I'm gonna kind of slow things down and pick a method, like a teaching tool, easier word to say that is an exercise. Right. <laughs> it's gonna teach them how to like shift their weight side to side. Okay. And then maybe when we get into like the speed and plyo section, we're putting a little speed on that. Maybe it's like a fake throw, being able to like have all their weight on their right leg and then use that ball to feel that sh- weight shift on the other side and then maybe we're doing a lateral lunge when we start loading Um, and then maybe we're doing a slide board through conditioning and I'm really emphasizing the same thing I did in the warm-up all throughout the session then maybe in my program design my goal like short term to long term is maybe I'm progressing all of those activities with speed or within a time duration or just like little tweaks and factors to make them better at that ability.
0: Mm, I like that a lot. And I think that's something that, you know, when we were, when we were getting started in all this, right. And I always hearken back to the old days when I was coming up and you were either coming out of like a powerlifting base program or an Olympic lifting base program. And you think about how much our industry has evolved. It's just cool to see like how much more important it is now. Like, Hey, Nobody's going to say that force output or generation isn't an important tool, but there's Mm -hmm. so much more to being athletic than just how much weight can you move on max effort squat day in the gym? Yeah. You know, like, like how much, how much emphasis do we put on weight shift 20 years ago? Right. Like it just wasn't a thing. Like maybe you put lunges or if you were really like advanced at that point, you were doing like lateral lunges or something like that, more frontal plane, Mm -hmm. but. Oh, wait, Bill's going to be really mad if he hears the word frontal plane. but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's just how much our industry has evolved in that period of time. It's just cool to see that. And I love that idea of if it's important and if it's one of your guiding principles, like make sure you're going to layer that in multiple times throughout the session. It's not like you do three sets of lateral lunges. and all of a sudden, you've got all of the the motion and the ability to to load and propulse that you would like,
1: yeah, one hundred percent. and, you know, what you said about, you know, the foundation of, you know, our industry has really come from the sports of like Olympic lifting, powerlifting, and even like bodybuilding. And remember, those are sports. And I really think you're seeing the shift in the industry right now, which people like yourselves are doing of creating exercise categories related to actual sport that you're kind of trying to turn like an athlete or transfer that athlete into. So like, You know, in the sport of basketball, can we create movements, categories for, you know, either patterns or skills? And then can we kind of create exercises to get better at those abilities? Because powerlifting is its own sport. So using those strategies aren't going to transfer over.
0: I love it. I love it. So speaking of athletes, you know, I've always found that the more rationale you have behind a program, the more buy-in you can get right? You can explain every step of the program and why you're doing stuff. So I'd assume that you found the same to be true when it comes to your principles.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if I can remember these phrases and have like this value system or belief system, now the the job of mine would be making or having the people I work with have the same value system when it comes to training. Yes. So now I want to make sure that they believe what I think is important as what is important in training and getting better in sports performance. So within your principles, now I can just apply context for communication whenever necessary. So I kind of stated that example of one of my principles as being able to transfer from leg to leg in all its athletic skill acquisition. So it doesn't matter who I'm working with. I should be able to explain that with you know skating throwing a baseball all that is is transitioning from a leg to a leg no yeah. matter what sport it is so that allows me to c- communicate my beliefs a lot easier and then get buy in because you know that's what's important to them which i'm trying to connect with
0: yes okay so i feel like we've held people on long enough you talked about your one of your principles is transitioning weight or or force from leg to leg. What are some of the others? Because I think if people can hear what yours are and maybe a little bit of your rationale, it'll be easier for them to start understanding like, oh, okay, that's what she means by that. And then they can start to create their own.
2: Yeah.
1: For example, let's see. So one of my other principles, and this is very Fran Bosch kind of influenced is performance training is coordination training with resistance. And why I kind of have that as a phrase that I remember is because kind of going back to what we said, it keeps my focus on performance. What is that for this individual? If I'm working with a general population client, maybe that's a fear associated with a certain movement, or maybe that's making sure they can stand up from their their couch. Yeah. An athlete that is kind of clear. Yeah. And then coordination training is how I kind of categorize exercise and you kind of, there's different ways to be able to do that. I've heard many of your podcasts and some of the things you say is like splitting that up between like a spectrum of like loading and propulsion. Yep. And we kind of gone through a school of thought of maybe that's loading phase of gait and like swing phase of gait kind of a thing. Yep. And then now all we're doing for training is just adding a little resistance to that to make people stronger through those movements. Yep. And then another one would be proximal structure position influences movement at distal structures. Yes, you could say vice versa, but I use it as a learning tool to kind of carry over, you know, a foundational position. And I feel that that helps people learn other movements easier. Yep. And that's, that's like focusing on like thorax and pelvis position through, throughout things, not everything, but, and then my last one is kind of like, My instead of my training principles, that's like movement focus. One of my principles of a trainer, which is kind of like, you know, how I want my behavior to be like what my client's experience is. And that is growth is experience in various types of hard work. So That's basically me being like responsible for a position of influence over the people that I work with. So I don't want people to believe that the only type of hard work is like this physical brute kind of strength hard work. I want it to be like, you know, doing a sensory based activity is just as hard. Having humility and gratitude um, is just as hard. Going home and having good nutrition and sleep practices are just as hard as what you do on the gym. Mm. Um, So those are some of my principles that kind of guide my coaching.
0: I love that. And I like that idea of hard work isn't just like the physical brute force output based stuff, right? Because not just us, but especially the clients and athletes we work with, there is definitely a segment of them where that's like their only focus, right? It's like if I'm not smashed, when I walk out of the gym, it wasn't a good workout. But like you alluded to, sometimes that sensory based stuff is the hardest part of their workout. You know, or it's the thing they need the most, and therefore it is the hardest thing for them. Or a lot of our fat loss clients, they'll kill themselves in the gym, but the real hard work for them would be doing their meal prep on Sundays and Wednesdays, or getting seven and a half to nine hours of sleep during the week. Like I really like that that viewpoint, and and being able to explain that to the people you're working with, I think would be super valuable.
1: Yeah, and I think important part of that is acknowledging it, because like that's got yeah. my behavior. And, you know, acknowledging that they're working hard in something else besides, you know, the the conditioning segment, if you will. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I think if you're listening to this, one of the things t- to realize here is that hard work is going to be different for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like this, this online gal I started working with, she was like beating herself up because she didn't feel like she was working hard enough. And I said, like, that's not our focus right now. Like her biggest emphasis going into all this was making sure she was training regularly and getting three workouts in a week. I'm like, hey, this is the hard work for right now. Like, let's get you in a consistent pattern and routine. And then when you're getting those workouts in now, let's start to layer in a little bit more intensity to your workouts. So I that's think great always being conscious of what hard work means or is to them is valuable because it's not always the same between us and them.
1: Yeah, it's a perfect point. And it goes right back to principles because it really forces you like creating these principles or phrases really forces you to dive deep and the, the, oh, excuse me, defining what you're saying, defining like the terms that you're using
2: mm-hmm.
0: and
1: kind of in being able to communicate that clearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So, you know, we talked a lot about principle based coaching. And I want to finish with a topic that I think you are uniquely uniquely prepared to answer because some people have spent their entire life in the public sector. Some have spent their life entirely in the private sector. You've mixed both worlds. You've been in academia. So how do things change when you move between the public and private sectors, whether it's your language, how you communicate, any of those things?
1: Uh, that's such a good question. Yeah. So you know, I definitely miss a lot about like the public sector. Second, excuse me, sector <laughs> of like who doesn't want to work with eighteen to twenty-year-olds who work hard and you don't really have to create, you know, motivation or effort. Yeah, and it's great experience too because you're working with, you know, you have a large population. So I had like eighty client, uh, excuse me, eighty athletes, I believe. So you've got a lot of experience very quickly.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And for that, I think I was able to really gather like my fixed movement principles, meaning like very training based and very like results oriented in terms of like sports and performance. The public setting really threw me for a loop. I don't think I was really prepared for or (laughs) had the right (laughs) expectations for it. But that's one of those points in my life where I had to kind of stop learning and really focus on experience and just kind of being engaged in the sessions and being myself. And there was a in terms of program design, there's a lot more variability, especially with schedules. Whereas like athletes, I saw them, you know, my main teams four to five days
2: a week.
0: Right.
1: And I kind of have a lot of control through that. And then the public, I may see someone one day a week to three days a week. And I think and there's a lot more variation through their schedule. Um, they yeah. may go on vacation and whatnot. So taking session by session is much more of a focus now with my general population clients in creating an experience and in, in being engaged. And then also, you know, when I first got into the public setting, I worked for someone in a private kind of gym. Mm -hmm. And that was a much, much different experience between like now when I work for myself in my own company. Right. And, And for that, I had to learn a lot. I had to put basically everything on hold that I wanted to learn about like movements and, you know, biomechanics and this and that on hold. And I had to learn about business. I had to learn (laughs) about finances. And it's, of course, I'm sure, you know, it's just, you learn a lot that I never thought I would have to. Um, And that's been a great experience.
0: So there's two things I want to unpack there. Number one, when you've spent a good portion of your lifetime learning, and then you have to go out into the real world, Mm -hmm. don't negate the value in that, right? Like you learn so much and you just accrue so much experience in a short period of time. Like, don't discount that. Like, that is its own form of continuing education. And I think sometimes people poo-poo that. They're both valuable, right? Like, I always talk about the, ba- the balance between knowledge and experience. Well, if you're coming out of college, whether you've got an undergrad or a master's degree, or you've just got, like, a training cert, you have a certain level of knowledge and what you think works, and then you get in the gym and you accrue experience. <laughs> and I'd like to think you learn even more what does and doesn't work.
1: That's such good advice. I think I even like beat myself up for a certain amount of time that I wasn't doing reading or right. learning something new or whatnot. And I was too try- I was too busy trying to maintain just my schedule. Yes. And that experience factor of maybe just like on your car ride home, reflecting of your day, like, yes where you could have gotten better? What did you learn that day in terms of just like genuine experience? And that that's huge and yeah. valuable.
0: Absolutely. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, a lot of people see an IFAST or a Cressy Sport Performance or whatever big gym is out there. And they say, Oh, yeah, that's the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna graduate. And I'm gonna open my own gym. And it's like, please mm-hmm. don't please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> the advice that I always give our interns when they leave is, even if you want to go open a gym, I love that idea. I love the, I we need more great gyms out there, mm-hmm. but go make your mistakes on somebody else's dime first. And a, a, guy, a guy that I used to train in home, this guy was incredibly successful. He owned like 20 apartment complexes across Indiana and Texas. And so when I told him at one point, I'm going to open my own gym, he's like, well, make your mistakes on somebody else's dime first. And because it, it just... Number one, you don't feel pressure right away Mm -hmm. to make dollars. And like you said, when you go out on your own, now your attention is divided. It's not just how can I be a great coach? It's, hey, I need to be a great coach, but I also need to learn marketing and accounting and I need to learn how to sell and like all these other skill sets. So you were already a great coach and then you started to pick those skills up. So if you are a young person listening to this show and you want to go do your thing and open a gym, do it. Just give yourself a little bit of, of lag time to make it happen.
1: There you go.
0: Okay. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions, but your answer can be as long or short as you'd like. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach?
1: Ooh, this is a good one. I would say on a personal level, opening my own company or just kind of going all in with it. I have been so happy since that happened. I feel like I'm the coach and person that you know I want to be. yeah, you know it's it's just been such a great experience. I would say doing that and making that huge step was my highlight so far.
0: That's awesome. I love it. okay. number two, and this is super random, but I feel like, I know so much about you training wise. What kind of like hobbies or interests do you have outside of training?
1: <laughs> That's good. I'll, re- I'll leave like the nerd reading stuff off to the side. Uh, okay. Um, but I love trail running. Okay. So when I was in college, I was a big time trail runner and I, I kind of got away from it. But my, since this whole quarantine thing started, yeah. you know, I was like reflecting on like my training goals. And I was like, you know what? I really want to get back into that. And just so happened a month later, I moved right next to like a hundred acre, like a reservation that has like endless trails.
0: Oh, that's cool. And so
1: I've been doing that frequently and I got a new puppy, which I've been oh, nice. bringing with me and it's,
0: I that's mean, that's awesome. a game changer. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> and then maybe people don't know this about me, but you know, when I was in like All throughout high school I was in AP art a lot okay every year and uh, I love painting and I kind of use that as like an active meditation
0: ah yes okay so so follow up question to the trail running when you're running (laughs) is this just like in nature or is there music or something involved with that
1: nice I actually don't ever wear headphones or don't bring my cell phone when I go running
0: smart Smart. So you've really got like two forms of active meditation between the painting and the trail running. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Number three. So I feel like you've got some really great content on social. How do you come up with your ideas and such for that?
1: (laughs) Oh, this is a good question. So I have really turned Instagram into a daily practice of writing, which has Mm -hmm. immensely helped me put my thoughts in a cohesive manner, you yeah. know, on, on paper or on the computer. And it also, I think it's a great tool to challenge your depth of thought. Because going back to defining things, if I write the word skill, then I'm like thinking all day, whoa, like what does skill mean to me? Like why am I just right. throwing this word out there? Is it, am I effectively communicating with people? And then also like am I speaking on the level of understanding of the people who I'm trying to talk Yes. And I think I've dialed that down a lot. When I first started writing, I think I was just trying to maybe appeal to my colleagues or get right. peer validation. And it's not the right thing to go for. It's like, who are you trying to talk to? I'm trying to talk to like peers and like other trainers who maybe are having the same struggles as yeah. I am. So when I'm really good with it, I'll sit down on like a Friday and or Sunday and just write. And then I'll just clip it out into like pieces throughout the week okay. or I've been waking up maybe like 40 minutes earlier yep. than I need to grabbing coffee, absolutely <laughs> love coffee uh-huh. <laughs> and then just and writing something Then, and that's kind of, of like maybe something I've been thinking about or like a message that I'm trying to get across.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, you've got great stuff out there, so please keep it up. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Michelle Boland?
1: Oh, so You know, I have absolutely loved what I've been doing. And one of my favorite things to do is just constant, like, communication with other trainers. That's, like, you know, lights my passion besides, like, working with people in person. So I've started a strategy course. So it's basically, like, I've gone to all this continuing education activities. And I've kind of tried and discern, like, qualities of what people do really well and what people really fail at as Teachers who are trying to have other people learn things and I've created a strategy course which kind of takes a step back and teaches you like Learning skills to be able to apply into other like continuing education activities kind of some of the stuff that we've talked about today And then I've created a group classroom from that So it's like we get on zoom have weekly calls. We'll have individual calls as well We'll give each other feedback through a community forum about going through all these steps and doing it together, and kind of getting everything done in like a 12-week form or time period. Um, And the next one I'm opening up starts October 12th.
0: Okay.
2: Um,
1: I'm very excited about that.
0: Awesome. Well, make sure if you are interested in what Michelle's talking about and you want to learn more about that, where, well, this kind of goes into my next question, where can my listeners find out more about you and everything you got going on?
1: Perfect. They can go to Michelle training.com or I'm very active, as you alluded to, on Instagram, and that's dr. Michelle
0: Did somebody else steal like Michelle
1: <laughs> I think so, yes. I actually got an email, I think it was a few months ago, asking if I wanted to purchase it, and I was like, no, we're good.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, somebody actually swiped up Mike I think he's like a realtor or something, but. <laughs> It doesn't matter because if you Google Mike Robertson, I'm winning. Yes, that's
1: right. First page domination.
0: That's right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. This was really great. And it was great to catch up with you.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Michelle. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I told you up front, this was a deep dive into everything principles based from communication skills, to program design, to better honing in on what you need to focus on with continuing education. I hope you took something away from it. And whether you're a ranked newbie in this game or a seasoned vet, I think going through this process and outlining your own principles is one of the most valuable things you could ever do for your career. So I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I've got one of two favors to ask. Number one, if you're not already subscribed, do me a solid and go ahead and do that right now wherever you consume podcasts, we are probably there. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon. We're everywhere, my friend. So if you want to get this knowledge dropped in your inbox every single week, go ahead and subscribe now. If you already subscribed, thank you. Do me one more favor and go on to iTunes, give us a rating or a review. As you know, or maybe you don't, One of the most important things and one of the reasons I do this podcast every single week is because I want to positively influence young trainers, coaches, athletic trainers, rehab professionals, physical therapists. I want to help our industry get to the next level and just surrounding ourselves with very sharp people like Michelle, like Dave Tenney, like Adam Luakano, or all the amazing guests we've had on over the years. The more great people we can influence, the better our entire industry is going to be. So if you would do me that one small favor, I would greatly appreciate it. So my friend, that does it for this week's episode. Love and appreciate you. And we will be back soon with our next episode. Take care.